0: I'm not very good at golf, you might say you never play golf. Fair enough. And then you might add, if you would play more golf, you'd be better at golf. Fair again, but my problem is this. When I'm on the golf course, when I'm about 60% of the way through the round, I just want to walk off. So 18 holes times .6 equals 10.8. Tenth hole... And, and I'm, I'm done. And you're like, I got an idea for you, John. You should play nine holes. Right. But the formula is 60%. So 0. 0.6 times nine is 5.4. And you could even round that up to five and a half. But still, you might say that seems odd. And I would completely agree. I, I, I have owned that bit about me, but I get it. Okay. I get the power of golf. Okay. I get the power of being with a person for like four and a half or five hours. I think if I spent that kind of time with an individual, I could sell ice to an indigenous person who lives above the Arctic circle. Can I tell a joke like that these days? Playing golf, this valuable tool in selling, similar to watching paint dry, right? It takes a long time. If I can get you to hang with me long enough, my chances improve sitting in a sauna, a hot tub, fishing, a long walk, all of these things, right? The sales cycle, okay? The, the, the prospecting, going through, a, evaluating an individual as to whether or not they would qualify to buy your project, nurturing the relationship. Does it always feel a little bit like when you really bump into a super salesy person that you're being evaluated as to whether or not you will purchase their product? Then a present, overcome objections, and then close the deal, a number of years ago, Super Value, parent company of Cub, etc., did research and determined that if you simply slow people down in a grocery store, they will spend more money, give them samples, get them to look at things, try to get them to try things, try to get them into the center aisles of the store. Can I get you to come back? Can I get you to want more? Can I get you to move one step closer How can I get you interested in my product and then see that through to a sale and how long does that take? It's easy to forget as we read these Bible stories, right? It's easy to forget that it are real people. They're not just real stories. They are real people, real times, real experiences, real with all the uncertainties of how the story will end, just like us. We find no precision in life. Eh, too strong, maybe. Okay, there is some precision in life, but frequently there is disorder, right? Uncertainty, maybe even chaos. Certainly in the short term, less so in eternity. But in the short term, there's these sidesteps or backsteps that we can engage with on a daily basis, and it always leaves us kind of scratching our head. And we wonder why it's just a little bit harder than it seems like it should have to be. And often it takes us a while to get to the persistent and accurate sense that there is more that is going on than meets the eye. And that frequently the battle that is faced is not flesh and blood, but in a spiritual realm. The story of Esther, the life of Esther, continues. Verse 1, chapter 5, four thirteen. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes. And stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Esther, Queen Esther, standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled Then Esther answered, My wish and request is if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Got through the first round of the tournament. Had to make it through the first round, right? She's in a strong position. Speaking of the tournament, perhaps you saw Francis and Carlos duel it out on Friday, The Future of Men's Tennis. A couple of things are going on here, right? Even if you've decided to do the right thing, you still need to do the right thing. It seems really obvious, but we often miss it. In fact, we often miss it on a daily basis. I know the right thing to do and doing the right thing are two different things. Even if you've decided to do the right thing, Esther has said, this is what I will do. She still needs to execute. The the challenge, right? The challenge of knowing what you should do and then not doing it for, for anyone, In the most extreme cases, a person who has committed themselves to sobriety, right? They know what to do. But it's a daily fight. It's a daily choice to do the right thing. Knowing what to do. Doing it are two different things. And even when the stakes aren't as high as they are in the book of Esther, or for the individual who is maintaining their sobriety, How often, on a daily basis, do we know what to do, but don't do it? Sometimes it's just procrastination, right? But sometimes I think there's a spiritual element to it, right? Sometimes it's just like, well, I'm just not going to do that. It's not that important. I need to mow the lawn today. I can wait till tomorrow tomorrow. Okay, there's not a lot of spiritual weight to that. But other things have a lot more weight to them. Paul talks about this, right? I don't do the good I know I should do, but I do what I know I shouldn't do. And this isn't a case of like, um, I'll, I'll walk downstairs, I'll see something that jogs my memory, I'll grab that thing, I'll walk back upstairs, and then I'll be like, wait a second, I didn't pick up the thing that I was supposed to pick up when I walked downstairs to begin with, and so I have to walk downstairs again. It's not that sort of absent-minded nature. It's the very real battle of knowing and not doing. And sometimes it's a battle that we have to fight each and every day. We know how we should act towards our spouse. We know how we should act in the business world. We know how we should act. We know the things that we shouldn't do, and yet we choose to do them. Esther's in a strong position. She's decided to do the right thing, but she still needs to do the right thing. The second thing about this, if she doesn't get through this stage, she can't get to the big ask. She can't win it here, but she can lose it here. Tomasino works with the word courage in describing Esther in Esther chapter 5. And I think that works, right? This idea of courage. This idea of executing, knowing what you should do, even in the face of something that would keep you from doing it, whether it be something external to you or something internal to me. This idea of courage, the idea of a firefighter running into a building when everyone else is running out. It's interesting. As you engage sometimes okay, with people who do extraordinarily courageous things, You talk to a firefighter. I had a, a brother who was a full-time firefighter. I have a nephew who's a full-time firefighter. I have another brother who's a paid-on-call firefighter in, our, in the hometown that I grew up in. I have friends who are firefighters. I, I've talked to them about what they have done, and frequently they're like, what I did wasn't that big of a deal. I just did what I was trying to do. I just, I just did what needed to be done. Typically, they don't necessarily think of themselves as courageous. But simply doing what needed to be done. You might argue Esther makes a courageous choice, but you might also argue the point that maybe Esther didn't have a choice. There's no other choice. There's no other pathway forward. There's no other redemption coming in sight. She did what she needed to do, and she did it. And in doing it, yes, we can think of her as being courageous. Text goes on in verses 3 and 4, asking and how to ask. Because there's just so many questions that I have about this, right? I mean, the story is like a master's class in, in, in what it means to negotiate when so much is at stake. I wonder how many times she practiced it. Can you imagine? Okay, she's like going through this, fasted and prayed, okay, the, during the fasting time, she's like, okay, if I say this and he says this, if I say this, if, if I show up and he, what's going to happen? How do I appear? What do I wear? Am am I more reverential? Am I more forward? How does it work out? Wouldn't you play the scenarios? Wouldn't you be like, okay, extends the scepter, what do I say next? If he doesn't extend the scepter, am I going to get killed immediately? Or do I have one little shot to go for it? I mean, how many times did she run through the contingencies? She's remembering the tendency of Persian rulers to want to make decisions in the midst of celebrations. This ideal format, pour the king some more wine if she can get there. When to ask? Entering the king's throne room is just an entree, right? An entree to the main course. The timing of this thing is going to be critical. How to ask? The tone. What to ask? How many things to include? Can she get it down to one thing? Can she get the emotion out of the way? Have you ever been there? Where you're in the midst of this thing, right? Okay, whatever it might be. It might be an ask. It might be a sales call. It might be a whatever, okay? It might be a a conversation you have to have with a friend. And there's so much emotion inside. This last week, I was chatting with two different people about two different things, and in both situations, right, I can feel the emotion rising, and I'm getting really, really passionate about it. Not like really, really passionate about it like I am on a Sunday morning, because I'm really, really passionate about this thing right now, right? But, but I'm in control, even though some may doubt it, of my emotion right now. I really am. You might think it's good, it's out of control, and sometimes it does, but really, I'm in control of it. But when my anger emotion gets out of line, oh, that's an entirely different thing. The eyes get really dark, really focused. I feel the anger inside. I certainly see it when I see it in someone else. When I see it in someone else, I'm like, ooh, I've won. Right? Some of us have tells. We'll get all flushed in the face or in the neck. And I know that when I get wound up in that way, in a bad way, I I know it here. I should just shut my mouth. Invariably, this thing doesn't work well when it's used for something other than God's best. Esther has a strategy. She's thought about this thing, and she's asking for the right thing. A meal. Who can say no to a meal? And then when she gets the yes to the meal, she asks for one more meal. She keeps the conversation going, setting up the ask. Just look at how she does it. Some of us might be tempted to go, 1,001 nights, Scheherazade, the Persian princess who kept her life because she was able to continue to tell a story that bled into the next night for over three years, almost three years, continuing the conversation, meeting someone on their turf. And some of you are like, John, it kind of sounds like you're just telling us how to sell stuff. It doesn't seem very Jesus-oriented. And I have to confess, it would be easy for this to devolve into a sales seminar, right? But it's not. The goal that Esther has is not the glorification of self or selling a product or repping for someone other than God. Esther has in her mindset the people of God. How does she enhance the existence of the people of God? How does she work for God? The lessons of Esther applied to our life in the right way look like this. You have a friend who isn't a follower of Christ. How do you engage in a conversation? Do you come in with guns blazing? And to be sure, sometimes, sometimes that works but do we think strategically about the conversations that we have with a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ? And if we don't know someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, let's start with that initial problem. How do I get someone closer to Jesus Christ? How do I... configure the conversation in such a way so the individual is attracted, who the individual wants to engage. Whose cause am I wanting to advance? What slice of grace, what slice of the kingdom of God am I trying to offer? What are the things that should be important to me when I have a conversation with someone else? We spend a lot of energy about having conversations that don't add much. that don't add much to the reputation of Jesus Christ. And I know some of the people that I talk to won't care about Jesus. Probably there's a couple of you here today. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop talking about Jesus. But how do I do it in a way that is compelling? And as I think about who Jesus is in my life, as I think about how I enhance the people of God and the reputation of God, which Esther was all about, how do I accomplish that? And I think about what are the things that are important to me? And are those things important to God? And am I having a discussion about the things that are important to God? And am I having a discussion about the things that are important to Jesus? And am I doing so in a compelling manner that kind of makes the person on the other end want to have an interaction with me? Why? They want to know more. That's the game that Esther is playing, and the stakes are inordinately high. And how is the Holy Spirit reminding us of the things that should be important? What things are important to God? Think about the conversations that you have during the week. What things related to those conversations are important to God? And, and I'm not saying the initial justification that you blow out the door, right? Or the initial justification I'm like, oh, this is really important to me. What are the things that are important to Jesus? If, if we can't answer that question quickly, th- then perhaps we don't know this book well enough. I mean, we, we argued at the beginning of Esther that you could say that uh, the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew is, uh, is a manifesto that Jesus Christ put out there, a manifesto of behavior. If you know what's included in that manifesto, phenomenal. If you don't, Wednesday nights, an amazing opportunity to learn What are the things that are important to Christ? How is the Holy Spirit reminding us of those things that should be important? And how often in my own life, when something is really important to the Holy Spirit, I am reminded of it? And when it's just me, it's evident to everyone around me. And that how often the cause of Christ is most brightly reflected through followership and service, not through fighting and argumentation. In Esther, we have this sterling example of what it means to represent the things of God in the most compelling way possible. Her example is an invitation. An opportunity for us to evaluate our lives and the conversations that we have and move them to a place that persistently and accurately represents the work of God in the world that he has created. Please pray with me. Father, the example is courageous. And Father, in my own life, I confess the times when I am less than courageous in representing you well. Father, we acknowledge the times in our life where we know the right thing that should be done and we don't do it. Father, we know the times in our lives when our emotions run amok and get in the way, when our anger gets in the way of enhancing your reputation. We know, O great God, the times where our followership of your Son and our service towards the same is less than it should be. And yet we also know, O great God, the redemptive story that you want to play in our lives, the invitation that you consistently offer to us to not only know the right thing, but to do the right thing. Father, allow us to be honest with the past but not be held captive by it. Allow today to be the day. Allow tomorrow to be the day. Allow us to be fully present in the moment, listening, learning, doing, in a way that enhances your reputation. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Please stand, let's respond together.